0: Hi, i'm christine and i'm alan we'd like to thank you for tuning into our discussion this week
1: our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful
0: so now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word Hi everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. We are podcasting about Pentecost, and we are going to continue in the book of John for this particular Sunday. I know a lot of us will head to the Acts scripture, but we're going to look at John. Um, Very detailed and precise here, it's John 15, verses 26 through 27, and then the Revised Common Actionary takes us to chapter 16, verses 4b through 15. So uh, we will see if we can make some sense out of this, but uh, Alan, why don't you get us started and uh, give us some background up to this Pentecost scripture.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, on this Pentecost Sunday, the Gospel reading turns to Jesus teaching about the Spirit in the farewell discourse of John's Gospel. And while uh, when it speaks in terms of uh, the role of the Spirit as the advocate or encourager in fairly positive terms, it's framed in a context that speaks of the world's hostility toward the disciples in John fifteen eighteen through twenty five and sixteen four we through eight.
0: We saw that last week. Last week, right mm-hmm. in John
1: seventeen. I think that's why we have the sort of the disjointed verses here. They've left the Revised Common Lectionary has left out um, that that aspect mm-hmm. of this passage and and again in those in those texts the uh, you know the the world is framed as a hostile enemy that poses an active threat in verse in John 15:18 mm-hmm. if the world hates you be aware that it hated me before it hated you so you know, this, this, uh, we've already seen this us against them theme, and, and it, you know, it, it's kind of pervasive throughout the farewell discourse. It po- it crops up here and there, mm-hmm. and then, and then as we saw last week, it kind of uh, reaches its uh, high point in the, in the prayer mm-hmm. in 17.
0: Okay. So, um, and within a context, then, is we have the Spirit. So, and John presents the Spirit uniquely. So tell us about this.
1: Yeah, in our lesson for today, Jesus promises that the Spirit would testify to him, and that would enable... The disciples to testify also, and that's kind of a main theme, I think, and it really kind of goes along with what we find in John's gospel. And here I'm I'm following a, um, an article by Jean Peterson uh, in in pointing out some of these um, uh, this pattern. You know, he says, mm-hmm. "I have loved you, you love one another." In in chapter thirteen, chapter fifteen, you've seen my work, you'll do my work. In chapter fourteen, I've been with you, the Spirit will be with you in chapter 14 abide in me i abide in you the spirit will testify you will testify here i go away the spirit will come in 167 i haven't finished what i have to say and the spirit will tell you in 1612 through 15 and so it's an interesting pattern you know the spirit will testify to jesus mm-hmm. and the the disciples will then be able to testify as well
0: yeah that's an interesting coupling i i, I hadn't noticed before and i i definitely is a is a it definitely, obviously, is good. It's some kind of literary technique. Um, but I think it also well, speaks I think of it's a, God. It's a yeah. theological yeah. thing. I, yeah, I, the, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it has. Do I think it has a deep theological purpose yeah i mean Mm -hmm. throughout
1: throughout john's gospel um jesus is only doing what the father tells him shows him to do and only saying what the father tells him to say and so then you know the disciples follow that same pattern Mm -hmm. they do Mm -hmm. what what they're enabled to do by following jesus or and or here by by the spirits uh testifying Mm -hmm. to to jesus um uh, to, to them about jesus
0: So, moving on with this uniqueness um, of John's Gospel, is is some of the language he uses for John's Gospel, uh, or excuse me, for the Spirit in John's Gospel?
1: Yeah, and here we find that word Paraclete, mm-hmm. and you know, if you've been around the church at all, you've probably heard the word Paraclete in a sermon or or somewhere. And I was actually surprised. This is something I just fig- just discovered is that um, the 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 use of the word Parakletas in in the Greek for the Spirit as an advocate in the New RSV or Lo, and um, uh, Nida in their in their Greek English lexicon, based on semantic domains, uh, say think it's better helper, encourager, and mediator. Um, this, this is an idea that's only found in, mm-hmm. in these chapters in the farewell discourse of John's gospel. You don't find the word. I mean, the only other place where the word parakletos is even used in the new Testament is in first John two, two as a reference to Jesus. So this is fairly unique mm-hmm. in John's gospel.
0: Is this a, do you think this is just a development within this time frame of understanding the spirit better? Or is this, um, this language may be territorial, so therefore it's picked up. You know, maybe it out of out of Greek tradition and then popped in somehow that it, it it's a better word, or. I, I, I don't know, or is, guess, it, or is I, it something completely different? I just
1: see it. I just see it as as something unique to the Johannine community. Um, I mean, you have similar ideas in Paul's theology of the Spirit, where you know, or, or in in Luke and Acts, you know, the Spirit is the one who in who empowers the church, and in, in Paul, the Spirit is the one who gifts the church and enables the church to carry out their their ministry. And so that's a that's a fairly common theme. To 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 use this word parakletos is is unique, I think, to John. Gospel, I think part of it is this theme of "I'm going away." You know, that's a that's a strong theme in jo- in John's Gospel that I'm going, I'm returning to the one who sent me, mm-hmm. and but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going right. to send another one who will be with you and who will encourage you and teach you and guide you in the same way that I have, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have. I, I highlighted this later on, but I, I, we did want to h- bring up that. Um, this may have been used in some of the theological differences in, yeah. the, in the church.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that Jesus speaks of the Spirit as the one whom I will send to you mm-hmm. from the Father. Exactly. And, and if you know, if you remember your church history, you know that uh, it was the filioque clause in the Nicene Creed, which says that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, Father and, and the, the Son. Son. Exactly. And that one word, filioque, in in the in the Latin version of the um, Nicene Creed, divided the East and the West between the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church.
0: (laughs) And Calvin actually, and part of the reason I I wanted him to point that out, Calvin brings that up here um, as well as being one of those... Proof texts, if you will, mm-hmm. used for that. But and it, we may visit a little bit of church history later on. But I think church history always has to be in the back of our minds when we're thinking of of scripture and understanding scripture. Sure. So, um, anyway, just an important little aside there that you can uh, that you can revisit as we move through the scripture here. Yeah. Um,
1: and so, in, in in this passage, then the primary work of the Spirit of Truth. As the Spirit is named here, uh, and that's a phrase also found in chapter 14, Mm -hmm. the primary work of the Spirit of truth is to testify on my behalf, and and the idea later in this text seems to be that the primary work of the Spirit is to guide the disciples into all Mm -hmm. truth, which includes apparently not only the truth of what Jesus taught, but of what Jesus will continue to to teach teach them through the spirit. And
0: that is a huge space in Calvin as well. So I think it's interesting that that is, what we are understanding here and yeah. how Calvin will read this. But again, that's not how everyone's going to read this. Sure. So.
1: Well, and one of the things we may not have an adequate um, uh, appreciation for is the role of prophecy in the New Testament church. That's true. We're familiar with the with the prophets in the Hebrew Bible, speaking the word of the Lord. But we think of Jesus as sort of delivering his his corpus of teaching once and for all. And then everything else was just, I mean, the, the, the traditional view is that the rest of the new Testament is just explaining Jesus, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no space there for, for prophets who speak the word of the Lord, perhaps, uh, a new word of the Lord, a fresh word of the Lord, mm-hmm. being active in the New Testament church, and we have a, a lot of evidence, in, especially in Paul's letters, that that there there were prophets who were active mm-hmm. in the New Testament church, and so in gospel studies, and I'm bringing this back around to where we are here in gospel studies, there are some who see, especially some of the interpretations in John's gospel, the way Jesus' voice is different, they see that as uh, they attribute that to Christian prophecy, mm. that that this is jesus continuing to speak to the church continuing to teach the church through christian prophets in, you know inspired mm, by the spirit interesting and so that, that that's a yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a thing that in the history in the background that most of us don't really aren't really aware of in the new testament well
0: before. and i think it's an, an interesting space too as we get moving through this is how i'll be this, interested
1: to see what calvin has yeah there's some there's some
0: problems and yeah. with it as well and and so yeah. keep just keep that in the back of your mind because there's a lot of stuff that impacts our church and our his, church history coming from this space in John. So, sure. um, okay, so moving on, what does the Spirit that okay we kind of identified who the Spirit is, or what the Spirit is, but how does this relate to the disciples?
1: Well, again, because of the work of the Spirit in the disciples' lives, then they will be enabled to testify to Jesus, and that's key here, Mm -hmm. I think. Exactly. And and I think it's important, and and it mirrors what we find elsewhere in the New Testament, that the Spirit is the one who empowers the testimony of Jesus' disciples. to Jesus' disciples to his death and resurrection and ascension, as well as the offer of forgiveness of sins and new life through him. And we find this, you know, in Acts, we find this in Paul's letters. Um, and, and so it's, it, you know, the, the, we see kind of a resonance, you know, between between John's gospel here and the rest of the New Testament, I think. But another interesting connection with Acts is found in that the mm-hmm. reason why the disciples are to testify is because you have been with me from the beginning. And, you know, in my mind, I go to um, Acts chapter 1 where um, the 11 are, are choosing a replacement for Judas Iscariot and one of the criteria for choosing uh, a replacement right. is that it was somebody who had been with them right. from the beginning, from the baptism of John, all the way through to the to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which kind of suggests that the group of the original disciples was probably larger than just the twelve.
0: Well, and of course, you know we talk about the twelve, but you know, we also see the naming differences. Mm-hmm. So that suggests there might be some other people, and of course. Women love to cite all the women that came right, along with them, right, that we know were present. That, and only it. a
1: handful of them are actually named. And, exactly. And, and you know, by the time you get to Pentecost, there are 120 disciples in the upper room. So, exactly. you know, where did all those folks come from?
0: Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: Probably Jesus had a larger following, than not just a following, but a larger group of disciples who, who traveled with him than just the 12. Right, well, right. We know that because of the women. Well, we it. know that, exactly, yeah. Yeah.
0: exactly. So... And uh, moving on, okay, so um, you have identified in this particular uh, text some of the complexities in the way it's divided. So do you want to discuss that with us?
1: Yeah, it's, it is it is strange. Uh, the beginning of chapter 16 repeats the warning against those who would threaten the disciples and even would kill them. And it's interesting, I think, that the Revised, um, the revised Common Lectionary and the new RSV, probably following the Revised Standard Version, began a new paragraph with 16.4b. Um, if you look back in the in sort of the English Bible history, you know, the King James Version doesn't do a lot with, is, is very minimal in its paragraphing. Um, and the American Standard Version is the same way. It seems like the Revised Standard Version sort of began this pattern of breaking um, uh, of, of inserting a break between the first part of 16.4 and the second part of 16.4. Well, I think,
0: you know, just an aside, I think those of us that have that, we kind of assume that's mm-hmm. correct. And, and, and,
1: and the editors, the, the, the translators, the translators are responsible for those paragraph right, divisions. Right, right. So that's something, that's, that's, that reflects their interpretation.
0: Now, correct me, Alan. I believe in the ancient Greek, it's just really one solid yes, thing. Yes, it's it's
1: it's it's called script, continuous script. I'm trying to think of the Latin word, but anyway, it's 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 continuous script, and it's there are no breaks. There's no punctuation. There's no breaks between words. You know, it's just written right. all together. Yeah. So
0: it's yeah, it's it's interesting because we can rely on a translator to some extent to help us that don't have that background but on the other hand we have to be aware that sometimes their choices may impact how we read the text. Exactly
1: well and this is even found in the in the different editions of the Greek New Testament. Now the current edition uh, that is the, the latest edition is the nestle Aland 28th edition. They have a minor break before 16.4b but no paragraph break at 16.5. At mm. the, the 26th edition of the Nestle Alon text separates 16.4b from what precedes. Presumably indicating a minor break in the thought, but it begins a whole new paragraph mm-hmm. in sixteen five. So, so the 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 editors of the the twenty eighth edition of the Greek New Testament, which was the current one now, apparently have changed that and they've gone back. The, the, basically, chapter 16, 1 through about eleven is one unit, but there is a they indicate they they indicate these minor breaks with a gap. Basically, mm-hmm. they put a gap between one verse and the other, mm-hmm. and so and. One of the things I found is, and and here again with with the I think with both the United Bible Society's text and the Nestle Alon text, I've been using the Nestle Allen text for so long I don't remember <laughs> what's going mm-hmm. what, what is in the the UBS text, but in the Nestle Alon text, you have in the margins uh, indications of where the Eusebian Canons saw breaks, mm-hmm. and so Eusebius. Prepared what it's called his canon list, which was a primitive harmony, sort of primitive synopsis of the gospels, mm-hmm. and he laid it out in terms of um, uh, tables that showed the passages that were in all four gospels, those that were in just three gospels, those that were in just two gospels, and those that were just in one gospel. And in the Eusebian canons, there is a break
0: mm. in sixteen
1: four b. So perhaps the the editors and translators of the Revised Standard Version and the New RSV we're we're following we have followed yeah. that
0: you know it yeah. makes you wonder if you know can we give any especial special credence to Eusebius being one of the fathers that he would have more language insight than we would today I don't know that that's fair to I
1: I think I think his is an early interpretation I would just yeah. say that's an early yeah. interpretation and obviously the editors of the latest Nestle L 28th don't agree with him so <laughs>
0: right right so there yeah. you go yeah well I uh this sounds all, you know, we've gotten in all the weeds here, and I'm totally intrigued. But why is, why well, is this important Well, this is here? important,
1: I think, because <laughs> because our lectionary selection resumes with the statement, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And so the question really is, what does these, these things, things refer to? Hard. Does it refer to the warning from about the threat from the world, or does it refer to the coming of the spirit to teach them. So does it refer to what precedes, or does it refer to what follows? And, and actually, I kind of prefer the way the Nestle on 26 does it because, you know, they, they see verse five as beginning a new idea with, with, with talking about the coming of the spirit but they oftentimes when there's a verse like this or a part of a verse that seems to be kind of transitional mm-hmm. like a hinge you know it, it kind of relates to what goes before but it also kind of relates to what comes after they they will they will indicate that with a minor break mm-hmm. by separating mm-hmm. the verses without making a paragraph division so I, and i think that's kind of what's going on here with the first with with the sec, with the second part of of chapter 16 verse 4 you know this this statement i um, i did not say these things to you from the beginning because i was with you it First, kind of both to the threat mm-hmm. and to the coming of the yeah,
0: spirit. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I, I kind of wish that our contemporary Bibles had that that intermediate break. Mm-hmm. Look to, to, to show us to show the hinge nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, it reminds me. I should have looked at another Bible just for curiosity what they did. But anyway, uh, I could do that later. Um, but, uh, yeah, you might check your own Bibles and see how that's, yeah. how, how that's done and know that that's an interesting... Um, well, an I, interesting looked through a, I looked through there. a fair
1: selection of them. The NIV doesn't make a break okay. there. The New, New American Standard Bible doesn't make a break. Uh, the Jerusalem Bible does okay. do the same thing as the RSV okay. and the RSV, The New English Bible which is also fairly contemporary about the same time as the RSV they don't make a break there so so there there's some interesting variations mm-hmm, among mm-hmm. among some of them and i haven't looked at some of the more recent ones like the new living translation or the common english bible
0: right that's what i was thinking what are the newest what what do the newer ones do with the you know maybe the more most contemporary scholarship um, let's, uh, let's move on um, so you could put that in the back of your head which I'm geeking out. I just so, so cool.
1: Don't you love it when we geek out like <laughs> oh, that? Oh, so
0: much fun. Okay, so let's let's move on and um, tell us about the statement of 16.5, where Jesus claims that none of them has asked them where he is going because we know that they have. So how, how do we right. answer to this? Right, it's
1: very odd, you know, because he says, now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me where you were going. And it's strange because that's precisely what Peter asked Jesus in John thirteen thirty six. And then even in thir- in fourteen four, he brings up this theme ad- again. You know the play the way to the place where I'm going, A- and so you know we might translate going here. It's it's the verb hupago as departing, but it's it's just strange that this whole theme about Jesus departing and chiding them for being sad instead of rejoicing is ground that's always already been covered, especially in chapter fourteen, and in fact the whole scene is repeated again at the end of chapter sixteen, mm-hmm. and it is only at the end of that episode that jesus is supposedly finally speaks plainly in telling them that he was returning to the father and there's this kind of dialogue between jesus and the disciples at the end of chapter 16 you know you you know you're you're speaking in 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 parables and we don't understand and Mm -hmm. and so he says i'm returning to the father and they say now you're speaking plainly and now we understand and you know uh, it's uh, to be honest with you that whole dialogue kind of strains credulity for me because, um, you know, it it seems it seems kind of set up. and it seems like it seems like the theme is is what's important here, and the authors and editors of the gospel are keen to show that the disciples had a hard time grasping this idea. yeah,
0: it's again, that strikes me as a, a literary technique mm-hmm. kind of yeah, um, yeah. that, that somehow we are supposed to kind of be in their shoes because we struggle with it as much as it is laborious as it is to read through. Mm-hmm. But that kind of maybe is, 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 um, is how we come to understand it. And uh, sure. maybe, I don't know, yeah. but yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, these are phenomenal writers, so I would not put that beyond them yeah. to, to, to do that kind yeah. of thing. Right. Sure. 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 Um, okay. So, Uh, Tell us more about the sorrow that Jesus acknowledges in the Scripture.
1: So going on then, Jesus acknowledges the sorrow that they have over his Mm -hmm. departure, and it's something of a theme really later on in the chapter in the part that that follows our, our selection for today. He tells them not only that they should rejoice, he says that their sorrow will be turned to joy, and that's kind of a theme in the end of John chapter 16. And so in this passage, then, Jesus goes on to insist that it is to their advantage that he goes away, because if I do not go away, the advocate will not come mm-hmm. to you, but mm-hmm. if I go, I will send him to you. And, and to me, it's, it's kind of an interesting theology of the Spirit yes. here. Yes, yes. Um, you know, elsewhere in the gospel, the Spirit is like the wind blowing where mm-hmm. it chooses in John 3, 8. But here it would seem that the outpouring of the Spirit is somehow restrained by mm-hmm. Jesus' continued mm-hmm. presence with the disciples. And, you know, it would seem that in John's gospel, the spirit proceeds not only from the father, but also from yes, Jesus, yes. as we said earlier. Right. And, 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 you know, one of the things I noticed is that the language of the farewell discourse is a bit all over the place on, all over the place on this, you know, in 1416, he says he will ask the father and the father would send the paraclete. In 1426, the paraclete is the one whom the father will send in my name, um, uh, but, here it it is that jesus would send the paraclete and so and and then if we if we you know i was just thinking this morning uh, you know um just just as we were preparing um uh you know if we remember john 20 where jesus is the one who breathes the spirit Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. them so it's an interesting theology of the spirit that that um you know the spirit kind of comes from the father but the spirit kind of comes from Jesus too, right? Mm-hmm. Now I think we see I think we see something of that reflected in in Paul's writings because Paul can refer to the spirit in many ways. He can refer to the spirit simply as the spirit, as the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of Jesus.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: So perhaps that's this is a this is kind of a similar kind of. Uh, wrestling with that whole trinitarian idea, you know, yeah, of, of yeah. how do the Father, Son, and Spirit relate to one another? Kind of in an early, in an early, uh, you know, an early uh, form of that in the New yeah, Testament.
0: yeah. And I, I think I think one of the things that strikes me about the spirit and the talk about the spirit is just our our human inability to really contextualize it even these and so john's using all this different imagery to try to give us a sense of really what's going on which is kind of beyond our human comprehension Mm is how how i how i visualize it Mm -hmm. um i mean and so by using all these different all these different images then we come up with hopefully as close to a sense of how the Spirit works is the third person of the sure. Trinity.
1: Well, um, and it, it is, you know, the work of the Spirit is mysterious, and, is. And, and baffling, and perhaps, you know, this this is behind this whole extended dialogue about how the disciples don't understand why Jesus is going exactly. away. Exactly, you know? exactly, and, and so. the
0: whole it, it 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 conflicts with their sense world, and mm-hmm. which is what mm-hmm. something Calvin will talk about. And which it still does for us it today. It absolutely does for us because this is something of our humanity. This is yeah. our reality. So it's hard for us to um, understand outside, even though, even those of us that are very spiritual people. So keep going on. How does that task of the spirit change then in 16, 8 through 11?
1: So the the task of the Spirit is different in in sixteen eight through eleven. So in there Jesus shifts. You know, all, we're, we're you know we're talking about the 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 Spirit of Truth guiding them into all truth, enabling them to testify because the Spirit will testify to Jesus. And all of a sudden in verses eight through eleven, Jesus says the Spirit would rebuke the world, <laughs> which is. You know where to me it's kind of like where does this come from? Really abrupt. Yeah, the Spirit is going to rebuke the world concerning Mm -hmm. sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. Now, you know this again. This language is very unusual to those of us who are more familiar with the Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels, Mm -hmm. but it's very much at home in John's Gospel Um, uh, as Jesus explains this rebuke of the world concerning sin. The sin of the world is that they do not believe in me. And we've seen that already. That is that is a theme in John's gospel right. that, that Jesus brings the light and and the wor- people love the darkness. Mm-hmm. Jesus brings the truth and people refuse to believe. Jesus comes from the Father and mm-hmm. does what the Father tells him to do and, and says what the Father tells him to say. People refuse to believe that and and so that's a familiar theme in in john's gospel the judgment idea is also pretty familiar you know um uh, jesus interprets the fact that the spirit will be rebuke the world concerning ju- concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has be con- been condemned and this echoes a statement where he ran across in john twelve thirty one. now is the judgment of this world now the ruler of this world will be driven out mm-hmm. so the the connection between the judgment and and the disempowering of the ruler of this world is is one mm-hmm. that's a theme in that's john's a
0: theme. gospel yeah, as well yeah, yeah. yeah. um so what about righteousness? It's a little more difficult. Yeah, that's
1: a bit that's a bit more difficult to figure out because this is the only place in John's Gospel where the noun dikaiosune is found. And the interpretation Jesus gives of the spirit rebuking the world concerning righteousness is because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Mm-hmm. So somehow there's a connection between the spirit rebuking the world about righteousness and Jesus going to the Father, and, mm-hmm. and, and they would not see him any longer. Right Now, you know, as I think about this, there's an earlier interaction with the Jews in John where they're debating with him about the validity of his testimony to himself, and he declares that he will go away, and of course, they don't understand it, and the debate goes mm-hmm. on until Jesus finally declares, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will realize that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father mm-hmm. instructed me. And so it would it would seem that the rebuke then of the spirit concerning righteousness relates to the truth of Jesus claim that he had come from the Father right. and that he was returning yeah, to the Father. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that makes an a, an awful lot of sense. Actually, as you say it, I mean, because we right? think of
1: we think of righteousness as a characteristic of God, or we think of righteousness as a characteristic of, of the people of God. Yes,
0: exactly. Uh,
1: but it seems it's a strange use of the term dikaiosune here to right. as, associate it with it really and and actually in in the Hebrew Bible, some of the cognate words that are used sometimes this 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 language. Can refer to vindication. Mm-hmm. And so there may be some of that right, going right, on right. That, that the Spirit is going to rebuke the world by vindicating Jesus' claim. Yeah, that may yeah, be part yeah, of the on Yeah, I here. think that,
0: that works. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so keep moving on then. Um, uh, what is. Uh, <laughs> The theme of the Paraclete. What? What's? What's? As you said, what's the heart of it?
1: Yeah. Well, and so after this kind of strange, inter, in sort of parenthesis about the Spirit rebuking the world, we come back to the main theme, and what I would consider to be the heart, really, mm-hmm. of the theme of the Paraclete. In, in the farewell discourses of John's gospel. The, the helper or the encourager or the mediator is the spirit of truth, Jesus says, and will guide the disciples into all truth, mm-hmm. and that all truth consists of teaching them everything. Earlier... Um, um, in John 14, 26, the Spirit of Truth, Jesus said, would teach them everything and remind them of all I have said to you. So part of the role of the Spirit is to help them call to mind Jesus' teachings and perhaps even to understand them. But here, part of the everything the paraclete will teach them is that he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so that's an interesting addition. Mm-hmm. And it would seem then that the role of the paraclete is not only to enable them to remember and perhaps understand Jesus' teachings, but also to give them further truth that they had not yet received, perhaps paving the way for the idea that the Spirit would continue to break forth more light and more truth, as the Puritan John Robinson was famously quoted to have said. Mm-hmm. And, and this may even, you know, and as I said earlier, if we think about the role of Christian prophets in the New Testament church and how that may have related to, to the composition of the Gospels, this may even relate to the work of the evangelist and or the author's editors of John's Gospel in their significant reinterpretation of Jesus for the community. As we've sort of taken a foray into John's Gospel in, in our podcast, we've seen that the, the Jesus of, of John's Gospel speaks very differently in very different ways than the Jesus of, of of the Synoptic Gospels. I, you mm-hmm, know, I don't mm-hmm. say that I, I'm not I'm not comfortable with saying that Jesus in the John in, in John's Gospel uh, contradicts the Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels, but there's definitely an interpretation going on there. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. Jesus says very different things in John's Gospel. And, and perhaps, you know, this part the part of the reason for this passage is that, you know, the the, the authors or editors are sort of justifying the work that they did to interpret Jesus, and they're claiming that the Spirit of yeah, Truth was yeah, the one the who led them to that this. That yeah. makes that makes yeah. an,
0: a, a lot of sense, and I think that gives us some additional thought as to why John does have this different voice.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so Jesus concludes in by saying that the scope of what is mine that the Spirit will declare to them includes all that the Father. Has And again, that seems like a very broad scope for the truth that the Spirit is going to reveal to them. And so, you know, the the idea that the Spirit would lead them into all truth, or at least all the truth they would need to carry out their work of testifying to Jesus and to the new life they mm-hmm. had had through him, that the Spirit was going to equip them with that in order to, for mm-hmm. them to be able to do their work.
0: I think if you started this passage, and I hope now that you've listened to it, I mean, I feel a lot more comfortable with what is going on here and also the role of the spirit and, 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 and thinking about as witnesses to Christ through scripture, how are these, how are these f- helping us understand who Jesus is? How is this helping our faith? And I think when we come back and we look at Calvin, you're going to find um, some interesting ideas about how he looks at this and how this helps us in our faith. Amen.
1: Friends, we're back, and we mentioned just briefly how some of what uh, Jesus says here might have contributed toward the split between the Eastern and the Western Church, especially with, a, with reference to the Filioque okay, Clause in the Nicene Creed. And so um, I thought I would ask Christy to just kind of give us some background uh, to this uh, controversy.
0: Sure. I, I, in terms of theology, the Filioque okay, c- Clause is one of the main main theological differences and it seems so small that and the Sun, if you will, could make that difference, but really really did was begin to define um, uh, two theological positions that would contribute to the break of the church. There are some theologians, though, that overemphasize that, and I, as as a historian, historian, I like to say that's one reason, but there's many, many, many others, um, and I think we have to look at the history of the Roman Empire, and of course, the, the the Christian Church comes to to its fruition in the Roman Empire. Obviously, we know that, but sometimes we don't think about what that is, and the Roman Empire is going to be really the biggest empire the world's ever seen and we're going to reach up through what is now England we are going to reach all the way to um the Rhine River we're going to reach um all the way down through Africa and we're really pushing the boundaries of what's known um but the problem is it's so big that it's hard to maintain. Um, and they maintain it really by their military might, which is what we are seeing as they're annexing if Judea, if you will, and as, as, as Judea becomes, um, a, 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 instead of just a, a, a kingdom, a, a, that actually becomes a, a part of the Roman Empire. Um, and it's just we see at the time of Christ. Uh, but what's what's interesting here is, Even at this time, you're starting to see what's going to eventually become a division between the East and the West, where you're going to have the West that is going to be speaking Latin, and you're going to have the East, which is speaking Greek. Now, most educated folks are going to be able to jump back and forth between both of them, but increasingly, that's one of the pieces that separates it. And as the church begins to form, um, it begins to form. It has four, and we, we talk today, we know who the Pope is, and we know who the Patriarch is in the East, but there's actually two other bishops, um, one in Alexandria, one in Antioch, who really become kind of the primary uh, uh, leaders of the early, early church. And eventually... What becomes the Pope, the Bishop in Rome, once the Roman Empire starts to fall in the West, which it does for a whole number of reasons. Um, there's Germanic tribes; it's it's too big to maintain. Um, coming in, it's beginning to fall. The eastern part, centered around the the um, centered around the. Um, Constantinople and all the all the commerce that goes on there—it's actually holding together better than the West. So the Western Church takes on a role of kind of being a secular body; it takes on most of the roles of um, of governance. It takes on. A lot of the roles of, of course, caring, they even begin keeping peace. So they began taking roles that were once secular roles involved in the church. So a lot of this goes on. And in the 5th century, when um, the filioque, I can't even say it, (laughs) becomes, if you will, um, regular part of the Nicene Creed, then you have this, you are also having in the West what is Really, the fall, what we consider the fall of Rome and Rome is sacked several times in 410, again in 480, and eventually it ceases to be a centerpiece. the The, the Rome itself is only a, a, really a puppet; it's been taken over by Germanic tribes. Meanwhile, the Roman Empire, what's remaining of it, is continues in the east.
1: Yeah, and, and there was actually a split in the Roman Empire itself, right between the east and the west. <laughs> um, when yep. did that When did that take place?
0: So you're well, you're getting the, so. Effectively, four hundred and eighty is usually yeah. what historians identify. Although some will identify it earlier, and for simplicity's sake, sometimes we just say five hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's when the church really begins um, to kind of establish some kind of control over what remains. And so you get a whole bunch of things. What are these big um, estates called? The Latifundia. The Latifundia um, actually will become, will kind of eventually emerge into their own kind of uh, own kind of um, if kingdoms, if you will. And they, they become kind of the base then of what would become the feudal system in the mm, high middle ages. Sure. Um, so they they start to control their own. And, they're, and and so also big plots of land also function in this way are also owned by the church. And you get the rise of the monasteries um, then that will be able self-sustaining and will be able to help support, to some extent the communities around them with extra produce and things they have. So all of this is going right, on. Right, and meanwhile, Yeah, it's not I'm,
1: just the filioque okay clause. Why? It's, it's really a division of the Mediterranean world between exactly. East and West. Yeah. In, in, yeah. In, in, terms of, uh, in terms of language, in terms yeah. of governance, and the whole nine exactly. yards. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So they're in different spaces. And meanwhile, in the East, which is able to stay more urban and it's able to stay intact, It becomes known as the um, Byzantine Empire, actually, ultimately, Um it has more control over the church, ultimately. And it became, they call it, Cassiro papist where it's actually... Um being ruling in conjunction with the, mm, interesting. the the emperor there so the
1: emperor and the and the and the patriarch of constantinople ruled in conjunction with one another
0: exactly wow, I so didn't you've know got that. a yeah so you have so you have this very different world going on so this split this is one piece of that split but as they're splitting apart they're meeting very different needs of their people and and they're responding in different ways and really it's only I would say modern times when we've began to really begin that dialogue back into how mm. we, where we agree on doctrine. But at least then they were they were really administering um, and really functioning in very different worlds.
1: Well, and I'll mention, I mean, and it was in the Byzantine Empire where, where the study of Greek and the study of the Greek New Testament Absolutely. continued. And so that's where we have all these, Many, many, many Greek manuscripts exactly. that are that are later that follow a, a certain pattern of the text that um, you know may or may not reflect the earliest form of the Greek New Testament, but it was the form of the New Testament right. that was used in the right. Byzantine Empire. And so, when when these Byzantine scholars then come to 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 the West, bringing their their texts, their their manuscripts mm-hmm. of the Greek New Testament, that's what Erasmus has to right. to, to right. make his to publish his New right. Testament. Right,
0: and you yeah. would know better than than me but but much of the stuff held in the west um of any use at all uh, was destroyed at various oh, times
1: i mean yeah i mean they call it the dark ages for a reason oh, exactly. Because, because learning was just gone exactly yeah. and and
0: many of these things began to fall apart so when they would you know hear a, they they used what they they had and of course it's the it's the renaissance that's going to open up the trade routes is going to open up the awareness to these additional scriptures and that's of course the kinds of things then that Folks like Erasmus and Martin Luther are going to be very excited about because they're finding these religious texts they didn't they didn't have access to before. Um, but anyway, I it's a, I think it's important to us because it this. Filioque clause and its impact on um, who Jesus is and who Christ, and and who God is and frankly the Holy Spirit ultimately comes to be a part of this in the Trinity. How that's defined in the Western Church impacts us here today, um, and and some of the assumptions that we might make make about our faith, at least if from mainline uh protestant groups and and, the Ro- and even a roman catholic church those assumptions that are part of our western tradition aren't necessarily part of the east because they're coming from, they they have mm. evolved from a different space right yeah,
1: yeah and I've, I, I don't know if this is true i've always kind of assume, read it that that the filioque clause sort of has this father son dynamic set up and then the spirit is kind of not quite a part of the same dynamic or Correct. sort of relegated to a, to a substandard sort of place in the Trinity. And, and part, of, part of the pushback was that, that the, the Eastern Church wanted to say, no, the Spirit is just as much a part of the Trinity as, as the Father and the Son
0: well yes and one of the big of course one of the big questions is by leaving out the son was the idea of was it was there an attempt to subordinate the son in uh, any way yeah. um, they wanted to leave that out suggesting right. the spirit just the came from the father but then but also then so what is that relationship between between uh, the, the spirit and Christ mm-hmm. and um this idea that, that both emanated from the father. So instead of a, uh, instead of a, I'm thinking of the Matthew 25 Trinity, that's mm-hmm. kind of blended together, that it's more of a, this pyramid shape, which mm-hmm. I think actually a lot of us think about, mm-hmm.
1: um, a triangle, this triangle, idea. but, yeah. but the
0: father's always at the top of the, mm-hmm. the triangle. And, right. um, you see that in some of the, in some of the early imagery church of the church as well, that mm-hmm. triangle that with God at the top, absolutely. And, um, the Western Church comes with more that it's it's more fluid than that.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So okay, cool. Well, thanks, anyway. Christy. That was fascinating. So so um, tell us what Calvin has to say sure. about this passage. So, I can't wait to hear.
0: <laughs> well, and of course now we're moving into the passage itself, right? And 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 I bring this up because he mentions this in the passage. He mentions that this passage is used, um, was used to to uh, uh, um, in terms of that filioque clause, clause. but. um the, the other part is that he really saw this as an encouragement to faith. I, this has a very, po- you know, we talked about how it's kind of steeped in this negative space of the world. And yet Calvin really uses this as, again, as an encouragement of faith. And again, faith for when Jesus is gone mm, and how yeah. that they can understand um, and how they can live into that faith. And so he spends a lot of space there. And I think, Again, we saw a lot of that Calvin language um, regarding sign and seal of the Spirit mm-hmm. and he's talking about, look, I'm, I'm trying to have you understand this because this is the spirit that is going to be with you and that's going to move you when I am not here. Um, I think what's really interesting for Calvin though is he, he he comes after this this space of you know there's people out there that that, that want to cut, jesus off you know like jesus is done and then the spirit takes over so we right. talked a little bit sort about of a this.
1: modalistic approach to the yeah Trinity, we talked you know. about
0: this prophecy later on and i think calvin would say yes and that we understand and we understand today that the spirit continues to move that, 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 that this is an act of work but what's interesting is he was very concerned and very critical of groups he saw that said jesus is done so we can do it so the spirit moves us, and he blamed this on the on the Roman Catholic Church. Really? Yes, he blamed wow. this on um, the Muslims
1: really yes
0: and he blamed it on the fanatics of course so of course right but in all three cases <laughs> all, all
1: three boogeymen in the, in the in the Reformation ex- exactly
0: era. <laughs> but what was interesting he said look people are just cutting off Jesus and Jesus is dead and then they're saying the spirit has moved me to do whatever I want and and so he's really hard on the Roman Catholic Church for what he considers really additions things that have become it, it seems to be his attack was mostly on uh, various types of um, rituals that were done that, that mm-hmm. were supposedly sacred rituals. He's like, these aren't Christ rituals. They're just making all this stuff up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, he's very critical of that. And then,
1: well, and you know, even even the whole th- uh, structure of authority in the Catholic Church is very different from what we would we would see it. We see that the authority of the Bible is what undergirds the authority of the mm-hmm. Church. And they have it the other way. Mm-hmm. The church, exactly. the, the authority of the church, is what undergirds the authority of the Bible, and it is the church's tradition that becomes the authoritative interpretation right. of the Bible. So that, to some extent, tradition of of the Catholic Church can can be seen as as important, or perhaps even
0: displacing the Bible. Exactly, exactly, and that's where Calvin's highly critical. Yeah. Um. And <laughs> <laughs> True to Calvin's world, he he has a uh, um. He has some choice um, words for choice them. Papists um, at <laughs> Papists act a highly ridiculous part for they define those mysteries which the apostles were unable to bear to be certain childish fooleries the most absurd and stupid things that can be imagined.
1: <laughs> you know you just wish you just wish that sometimes a Calvin would not mince words and he would tell us what he really thinks. <laughs>
0: And then he goes on to define some of the practices yeah. that that he's after. But I I, <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting. And, and he also said, "Look, Islam here, Jesus has has come, and and fulfilled the scripture, and they have this new thing, and they add mm-hmm. on to it. And so he's equally now. I know this um, it, Calvin and Luther they'll bring in um, they'll bring in Islam into their discussions from time to time, but they actually have." Limited knowledge. Of yeah, Islam. I was going
1: to say, how much, how yeah. much real interaction or knowledge did they no, have? Almost of Islam? none.
0: Almost none. Now there is, Luther does write a tract um, on the Muslims, and so they know something, and they know they they, they greatly fear because remember they're they're trying to attack mm-hmm. um Well, the um,
1: Ottoman Empire was exactly a threat to it is right yeah.
0: there, and and, yeah.
1: and so what what had been the Byzantine Empire exactly. in Constantinople became the Ottoman Empire, and exactly. it's just right across the street, right, <laughs> and,
0: and 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 of course. You know, we, uh, historically, right, the, the, the siege of Vienna is probably one of the reasons that Charles V was distracted and the Reformation was able to go on. So there's all this stuff going on mm-hmm. there historically that's, that's that's kind of huge. But in terms of their knowing about their doctrine and, and mm-hmm. really being in interaction with Muslims, they really aren't. Mm-hmm. And and so Calvin only has probably inklings about really what what they would believe. Probably but, a
1: caricature.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I would yeah. say so. But um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. He also put them into the loop of this. But his point is the same. It's like you can't just take the Spirit, and the Spirit's not just going to do all this stuff outside of Jesus because Jesus still lives at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus still reigns. And again, when we're talking about sovereignty of God and Jesus that that is part, again, of, of, of Calvin's Well and, and as I think Theology. about our
1: passage, you know, Jesus says that the Spirit is going to enable them to testify to him, mm-hmm. and Jesus says that the Spirit is going to take what is mine and is going to, going to reveal it to them. And so definitely you have you have that, um, you, you know, the the important role of Jesus still still maintained
0: exactly exactly so that's you the know spirit
1: what... is somewhat is somewhat carrying on the work of Jesus you know by empowering the disciples um, enabling them to carry on the work of Jesus and there's no there's no sense of Jesus being displaced exactly yeah.
0: exactly so he was he wanted folks to be just very very aware of that um and then I think um, there's also this sense of <laughs> How how the word how the word comes to us and and so there's, he's dealing with a, a lot of you know it's not I think if we look I, I would put this into the context of Calvin's um, 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 his, his his doctrine of sanctification if you will about how how we know and he he says look we have to go out and we have to spread it we have to preach. And so there seems to be some space here anyway that people have to hear the word to be saved. I thought that was interesting. It was kind of like if you don't hear the word, then you you can't have faith, even though God preordains people. So there seems to be some sense of that you, you can't awaken faith with you if you haven't heard the word, the spoken word, and if you haven't been preached to the gospel. So mm, I think yeah. that was interesting because I think in our minds is, well, if you're if you're preordained, then you're going to be saved whether you hear the gospel or not. And and Calvin seems to indicate um, again, it's more of a sanctification process. If if you look back on the world, yeah, you were you were meant to be in that space, but there's there's still an agency on part of the disciples to respond and to be going out and spreading that word so that those who are going to f- fall into faith will hear the word so they can yeah. so I th- well
1: and i think that's consistent also also with what we see not only in john's gospel but in the whole new testament i mean that that is a theme i think mm-hmm. that it is through the proclamation of the word empowered by the spirit that faith is is, is awakened in yeah. a person's yeah.
0: life yeah. yeah and so i just i thought that was an important piece here because i think um I think it explains why there. You know, when you when you're thinking of of the early Calvinist church, you're thinking about preaching, preaching, preaching. You're thinking about spreading the word. You're thinking about people hearing the word. And if you, yeah, if you jump away from that and say, well, you know, obviously we need to preach anything if people were automatically saved. It's this interesting combination, right? It's, it's I, I don't call it agency as much as just awakening to faith, mm-hmm. and that's a hard concept to to jump onto. It's a hard concept to explain to people. Um,
1: I would agree. I mean, faith, faith is in, in and of itself is, is somewhat mysterious in yeah, that respect. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. Um, so those are, I guess, the main pieces that I had, unless you have another question for me, Alan.
1: Um, well, I'm, I'm curious as to what Calvin may have had to say about this whole bit about the Spirit rebuking the world.
0: Yeah, Calvin notes that the power of the Spirit um, does not come on its own, but it's tied to the Scripture, and he's been giving it to the disciples. That they might spread it throughout the world. And this, um, is, it, this is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the world is, for Calvin, um, really everybody, including the reprobate, and all those who will be converted. And so, again, those who will hear will be able to internalize the message. Um, Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um, so
1: the rebuke has to do with the preaching of the gospel as well.
0: Yeah. Now sin, righteousness and judgment that all humans are bound to sin unless they are awakened to faith. Again, mm-hmm. uh, so it's that, that same concept I was kind of mentioning that the, So he takes it
1: more in terms of his own theology of justification and sanctification. I agree. Yes. as opposed yes. to the interpretation Jesus gives it that, you know, they they'll be rebuked for their sin because they did not believe. Right. You know? Right,
0: right. Um so <laughs> and then on judgment um that Christ's victory over death Brought us into a state of good order. Well, good shall reign and shall conquer evil. Mm. Now, in this section, he does talk quite a bit, and this this again reflects his age. He talks a lot about the the Satan as an active evil agent, mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm. So, um, and that Satan is actively working in there, but that when Jesus came, overcame that, and therefore Satan cannot cannot win, mm-hmm. can't win this evil of the world. That seems to come into this John's gospel right we have so much of that evil language in there and and, and that the world is bad and evil and Mm -hmm. he has and again he has this kind of positive spin on it saying that's not that can't happen Mm -hmm. That, that evil can't can't win here because you're going to spread the gospel because the Holy Spirit's going to, because this is God's providence, because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the ability to go out and spread it and people will hear it and they are going to believe. So I think those are the pieces. That
1: sounds great. Thanks. Thanks. All right. So we're back, friends, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the the view of the Holy Spirit in the Presbyterian world, and, and I'm going to ask Christy to share with us some of her insights about uh, as she's as she's traversed the Presbyterian world about how Presbyterians uh, deal with the Holy Spirit.
0: Sure, and I think many of you that. I think we have a mixed audience, but many of you that maybe grew up in the Presbyterian Church know full well that if you go and ask a lot of your adults in your congregations which person of the Trinity they are comfortable with, they'll say everybody but the Holy Spirit, and they'll feel really awkward about talking about the Holy Spirit. it's 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 not it's not a natural thing to them and I think a lot of that comes from um, really that that tradition of, of rationalism that kind of moved through the Presbyterian tradition and and I think it even permeated um, some of the seminaries for a while I think it's moved back obviously has I uh, I I am a newer out of seminary and I, I, I I'm going to tell this funny story that I think you'll appreciate I I um, I sat down my first evening when I just started there, and I sat right beside our liturgy professor, um, and he was an expert in Ecclesiastes, and um, we we hit it off right away. On, on my on my right, and on my left was uh, another wonderful professor who was um, a spiritual director. That was her job, um, and uh, I remember sitting there and uh, and and. In the tradition of the school, the liturgy professor was known to be very, very hard and have lots of difficult concepts to introduce. And he taught a lot of the history and, you know, spiritual direction. That was just going to be nice and easy. And and we sat down, and I looked at him, and I said, Oh, you don't scare me at all, but she is terrifying. (laughs) 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 And they laughed and laughed, because that's supposed to be the opposite way. And I said, but yes, but learning to really think about me as a spiritual person. Here I'm called the seminary, and yet I am not very comfortable about talking about faith. Now, how weird is that space, Mm. right? But I was not alone in this Presbyterian space. Oh, I
1: I find that to be the norm in the Presbyterian world.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we can talk... Boy, mission, and we can talk. Mm
1: -hmm. We can talk uh, Presbyterian disaster assistance. We can talk all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about social justice all day long. Exactly. But but talk about spirituality or the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit in our lives. It's like, I. It's not
0: comfortable. It's not a comfortable space. And so, you know, I found it interesting. My seminary hired somebody that that is what she does mm. you know and really works on on with the students on their spirituality and, and it's it's wonderful and it, it, it better equips you to to work in the church really honestly I mean if you're a pastor that that can't talk about your faith you got a little bit of a problem which I think actually happened with some folks sure um, so an interesting <laughs> interesting space. So I used to have fun. Now, what I have done is I've asked the same question of my confirmation classes, and it varies from from year to year, but this year I asked two, and boy, they didn't want to tell me about Jesus or God, but they're right on with the Holy Spirit. So I think that's an interesting, maybe reawakening to the limits of our our realism maybe limits that that we don't know everything by our senses that there's some things that we might have to ask uh, um that are our mysteries to us and i think that is a real honest look at entirety of who we are i mean think sure. about we talk about holistic doctors now that don't just treat Symptoms, but they're actually mm-hmm. looking for body,
1: mind, and spirit. body, mind,
0: and spirit. Yeah. So, I think we're seeing a shift, which personally I think is going to be great for the church.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I've in my confirmation classes, I think um, I think the, the the students have sort of had this sense that the spirit is is the way in which God is present with mm-hmm. us and lives within us, and they can handle that. <laughs> you know, I think I think we get a we get a handle on God because he's the you know, he's the creator, and we get a handle on Jesus because he came as a human being, but we don't really have a way to get a handle on the spirit in our lives. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. The spirit is, it blows when, when the wind blows, right? right? I mean, right. The, the spirit's a harder, I guess, for mo- many of us, a harder concept. Although, again, it depends what your background in.
1: You know, I was I was reflecting on something you said earlier about how um, in our lives, you know, we, we kind tend of to, tend to separate our spirituality off from our, our normal work-a-day lives, and and even I do that. I mean, you know, I t- I've tried to practice spirituality very actively for decades, you know, and yet I come into the office and I get involved in in. in working through emails or, or solving a problem or, or dealing with a crisis or planning a worship service. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just going, I'm, I'm working. I'm just, I'm just, you know, addressing it in, in myself. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not in a spiritual space. I'm just in a workspace, you know, just as yep. if anybody else in an office might be. Right, right. And I have to really kind of pause sometimes and, and, and just remind myself, okay, you know, I, I <laughs> how agree. are we doing this?
0: I agree, I, and and uh, I think that's been one of you know as as you all know, I, I became a pastor later in life, and so to to deal with with my family world, but I have this call on my life as a pastor has been an interesting space because they don't really. They don't really. See, they don't see me as pastor. They see mm-hmm. me as mom and wife. They don't see me as um, in this spiritual call of my life. And I find it. I find it kind of a struggle sometimes. Actually, mm-hmm. and and I, I say that for, as a pastor, and I'm, I think that affects all of us.
1: Well, and you know, I mean, you say you put the. You, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think the the wind blows where it wills. I mean, it seems like the work of the Spirit is almost maddening, maddeningly mysterious, and and we just can't. Really know what the spirit is going to do, where the spirit is going to call, where the spirit is going to lead. You know what the spirit, how the spirit is going to use you, and and so even as pastors, I think you know we we can. I mean, wrestling with our spirituality is something that doesn't stop just because you get ordained.
0: That's right. You That's know, right. it's
1: still. A, that's part of the space I think that mm-hmm. we all deal with in terms of the Christian life is that that our spirituality is something we have to continually uh, sort of wrestle with well, all of our lives and we
0: have to practice you know well, we do. And, and and of course that was part of the but was... but
1: if your experience has been like mine I mean I've practiced spiritual disciplines mm-hmm. like crazy and uh, you this know
0: is, this is true and Alan's being very he's one of the most spiritual people i know but listen to him tell us his his story well i mean
1: i mean you know there are times when those disciplines are full of life and just wonderful and there are other times when it's like oh not this again you know
0: yeah right right (laughs) and
1: and so i you know you just you 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 can't you can't put the spirit in a box, you know? And, and, you know, yet, even though, you know, as I said, as a pastor and as a, as a person who's tried to practice spirituality for decades, I still wrestle with that myself. You know, it's, I'm constantly amazed at what the spirit does through me that I'm not even really intentionally thinking about. Uh, That's, (laughs) I,
0: I am, I am too. I am too. And it's always, it's always interesting. Um, it's always interesting. I was just thinking about yesterday and maybe, maybe we can say coincidence or I could say Holy Spirit, but we have a young man in my church who um, was been in the hospital and he's not verbal. So he doesn't, he's not really too able to express how he's feeling, but I, I, I wanted to take him a prayer shawl and I knew he'd like it because he does really like blankets. And I thought our prayer shawls are pink and brown and, and his sister told me that he needed bright colors. And we had one prayer shawl that was black background with boom, pow and red and yellow. And i I can't help, but that that was there for a purpose. Mm, and maybe yeah. that sounds corny, but I'm just like, we don't have anything else like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Sure, I can't even sure. wrap my brain around it.
1: Well, and you know, as I think about, and my experience in the Presbyterian world has been a little strange for me in terms of observing even how pastors deal with the spiritual matters because, you know, I, I sort of cut my teeth as a New Testament scholar and as a New Testament theologian, and the New Testament has a robust theology yes, of does. the Spirit. Yes, it does. And and the Spirit, you know, plays this in. You know, just very central role in every aspect of the Christian life, in every aspect of the church life in the New Testament. Absolutely. So I come, I come into the Presbyterian world with this, with this New Testament theology of the Spirit, and 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 I, you know, I kind of I, I look at some of my colleagues, and I'm like, you know, I wonder. Um, how to convey that robust theology of the Spirit because there, it really is. I mean, you know, to, to me, the, the theology of the Spirit is that everything we do, everything we are mm-hmm. as Christians, everything we do in the church, everything we are in, as, as a church – comes from the work of the spirit right. and, and in the new testament um you know uh, if we're able to accomplish anything for god's benefit it is the work of the spirit right and and you know and and i think you know you have this you have this sort of well maybe it's corny kind of kind of exactly. thing going on in the presbyterian world but Absolutely. i don't see it corny as all i, I see exactly. it exactly I, I see it as this is the robust this is a robust theology of the spirit
0: but my background right there tells you what yeah. i grew up in, and. Yeah and i found it interesting that i actually came to faith through a kind of a more rational kind of mm-hmm. of discernment and really through a uh, uh, really through a sense of well what kind of life i can't live a life where i don't believe because what is it for sure and so it was this kind of rational step but once i accepted that and once i was had this awareness of christ's presence in my life for me, the spiritual stuff came later, which mm-hmm. explains why I'm sitting side by side these two people right. in terror of how I'm going <laughs> to yeah. deal with my own spiritual life. Right. I think that's different for many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think our kind of rationalistic background is necessarily wrong. It's just that we need to also open ourselves right. <laughs> to how the spirits working.
1: Well, and 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 not be so afraid of what we can't explain and what we can't pin down and what we can't put in a box, but to embrace the the idea that that you know the spirit is there as a helper as an encourager you know as someone as one who enables us to do everything that we need to do as christians and as 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 people in the church and we can't do any of that without the work of the spirit and right. we don't have to fortunately it's not right. you know the christian life is not a self-help project exactly. it is something where where the spirit is is we have the gift of the spirit to enable us to to grow more and more to be uh, in, in the image of Christ, to enable us to live out our discipleship faithfully, to enable us to, to proclaim the new message, to enable us to serve, to enable us to address social justice issues,
0: right. to enable right. us
1: to care for people who are exactly. dying, you know, to exactly. enable us to do all of these things that we do and that we're very comfortable doing. But I think it's just a matter of recognizing that the Spirit is the one who enables us to do it all.
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And... Uh... That's, I mean, if you, <laughs> I mean, how many things that I think I could never do if I didn't feel that I was called. I, I, I could not preach if I didn't feel that God called me to that. Nor space. could I. Yeah. And or even read scripture. I remember the first time I had to read scripture publicly and how terrifying that was because yeah. I didn't feel worthy of reading scripture. Right. Um. But then you realize God has called called you to that, and that's that work of that Holy Spirit. And it's it's then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. I guess I have to do this because I've been told I'm gonna
1: (laughs) Well and it's not only that, it's it's a joy to do it. I mean when we do it in the power of the spirit, it's not just a chore, it's It's a joy. It's a joy. Yes, it is a joy. It's a joy.
0: It it it, it does yeah, all those all those positive, all that energy that that brings you to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. Well thanks, Christy. Yeah. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together
0: listen listen for for the the word. word.